St. Leo 360, a 360 degree overview of the St. Leo University community. Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. Leo 360 podcast. My name is Greg Lindbergh. Here on this episode, we are featuring a recording from a recent virtual event that we held here at St. Leo. And this event was entitled Conversations About Success Beyond Service. The event was presented by the Office of Military Affairs and Services alongside the St. Leo Worldwide Student Life Department. And the particular host for this event was Dr. Larry Brow, who is the director of the Office of Military Affairs and Services. So the featured guest of this event was Mary Kate Saliva, who is a U.S. Army and Special Operations Staff Sergeant, and she is currently serving in the Army Reserves and is also a current St. Leo University Doctor of Criminal Justice student. So the specific area of focus of this event was titled Elite Opportunities for Enlisted Service Members. So now I'd like to turn things over to Dr. Larry Brow. Dr. Brow. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our second episode of our Conversations About Success Beyond Service. We're certainly glad you could join you. My name is Larry Brow, and I'll be the host for this evening's discussion. Uh, we've got an exciting, a very special guest tonight, an exciting guest to, to join us tonight. And uh, her name is Mary Kate Saliva. And Mary Kate is currently a St. Leo student serving um, in the Army Reserve, she spent 12 years on active duty, and she's working on her doctorate in criminal justice. And so um, she's a, currently a staff sergeant in, what was the name of your, what unit are you in now? The 312 Tactical PSYOP Company. 312 Tactical PSYOP Company. And so uh, we're really glad to have you tonight, Mary-Kate. Uh, this is a I think you and I have had a couple of discussions before, and I think that some of the things that uh, we've talked about, I think that are really going to be interesting for, for our listeners. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, first of all, uh, tell me a little bit about your yourself. Um, how did you get, you know, you spent 12 years on active duty and then decided to get out? Then what? Oh, yeah. So, um, as far as the then what, and I love that Marina's on this call too, because she knows the then what when I didn't know the what to the why. Um, but I'm so glad you all are here. Again, Mary-Kate Sleva, thank you so much for having me, Larry and Nancy. I served the 12 years combined active service with, and I just transitioned last fall, last August. And at the, I decided to transition right in the middle of the pandemic. So I was about, I had about 12 months left on active duty. And it was about the time that I need to decide whether I was going to stay in or leave. And it was really challenging at that time because there were several of my buddies in my unit at the time down at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, that wanted to also transition, but with unemployment on the rise and so many uncertainties because of the pandemic, uh, they ultimately decided to stay on active duty. I decided to uh, push forward with my decision and a part of that at the time, I, I was an Army medic earlier in my Army career, but I decided to go to uh, assessment selection and become a psychological operations soldier. So I uh, ended up down at my first station was up in Maryland, but did end up down at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Uh, and 
at that time, I had an incredible experience of being able to go to South Korea and the Philippines and Tagalog was my sign language. So just being able to figure out at the time that I had these skill sets that I thought I could come off of active duty and utilize, uh, but I was in for a rude awakening coming in, I would say six months into my transition, Larry, that I was still had this big question mark of what am I going to do when I get out? Um, and so one of the things that I will say is that finding my why was probably the biggest uh, wake up call for me while I was still on active duty. Uh, and, and it took a lot of mentors, including Marina, who's on this call, to be able to really hear from experiences from those who were ahead of me in the transition. And they were kind enough to turn around and and look after those coming behind them and made sure that I didn't feel alone during my transition. Uh, so having that mentorship to figure out what ultimately my why was, was, was uh, pivotal. Well, that's, you know, when you talk about the why, I think that's the thing that I've, I've preached, you know, my whole, you know, since getting out of the military myself, because I, I thought I knew my why when I got out, but I didn't. And so trying to find that why I think is, is something that a lot of veterans don't think about, you know, especially when you're at the end of your tour, you're just thinking, let's get out and go, you know, attack the hill. We'll continue find that job, get that career, start the new life. And it's really not that easy. Um, what's really fascinating in, in talking to you is, so what we're going to talk about today is, is opportunities, the vast opportunities that are available for enlisted service members. Because I think there's this misnomer that all the great stuff all the cool stuff is only for the officers because they get out, they've got all these, you know, advanced degrees and, and, you know, the enlisted, they have to kind of fight for what they can get. Um, but in talking with you, you've kind of cracked the code a little bit. You've been able to, uh, so we're hoping that tonight you can shed some light on some of those myths that, you know, that, um, that I have heard from a lot of enlisted soldiers saying that, you know, the level playing field's not level you know, I don't have a chance to compete with a lot of these officers who are getting out for some of these high level, you know, um, job positions or, you know, internships or other academic opportunities that are out there. So um, tell us briefly, um, you know, what you would say to that person who is, is thinking that way as they're getting out that, well, I'm going to stay in because I don't, I, I don't think that I can compete. One thing that I would say as far as, um, and especially to myself back then, I delayed getting entering a doctoral program so late. I was actually an E5 when I wanted to go after my doctorate, but I was told repeatedly that I was going to make myself overqualified, that I didn't need it to advance um, at my rank and just figuring out how, like, how, to, how I was going to balance that. And it was really discouraging, especially, you know, how are we going, how was I going to pay for it was the other thing too, like, oh, you can't, you can't use it, you already have your master's degree, so what do you need with the, the doctorate, um, especially in using, you know, like what we hear about, like the GI Bill or the Yellow Ribbon Program, there's different funding sources out there, I use, uh, I encourage people to check out Profello all the time, and these were resources that, like Profello, that I didn't know exist at the time, but it's a repository of fellowships that are out there for the graduate level, and uh, it doesn't matter if you're a, a veteran or not, and at least in that sense of some of these all scholarship opportunities and fellowship opportunities that are out there. 
Uh, so one of the things I'll say for those who are were on the fence about getting or are on the fence about getting out was finding a support network and knowing that when you transition, that you're not transitioning alone, that you have your family, whether you're, you're married or your immediate family or your network of mentors and friends to le lean on those folks. But to know that when you're transitioning to not take 100% of just those who are still serving, if you talk to your first sergeant or your gunny or your sergeant major, like they're still in uniform, they haven't transitioned yet. So if you're only leaning on the advice of those still serving, then you're missing out on all the golden nuggets of, of knowledge and, and wisdom and information from those veterans, uh, brothers and sisters who have already transitioned, who've already learned how to translate their skill set from infantry, from rigor, um, from uh, human intelligence into something that they can utilize it for a successful career academically and professionally in corporate America. So I would say like keeping your network tight, not leaning just on those who are still serving, uh, but networking is key. I will say, Larry, that it was really challenging for me at first, especially coming from the special operations community to put myself out there. If you would talk to me even a year ago, I was just like Mary S. Marina remembers me at this time. I didn't have a last name out there. I didn't have my face out there. I was really hesitant to put anything out on LinkedIn um, and just putting myself on social media. But what I found was that in return, nobody wanted to connect with me because surprise, they didn't know if I was some random person in my mom's basement, <laughs> just like catfishing everybody. They didn't know if I was real. So why would they want to help someone like me if I wasn't being putting myself out there and being vulnerable and open? And what I learned too was that I didn't need to be a subject matter expert on everything to help those coming behind me. And I have had I have had full bird kernels. I have had one stars reach out to me via LinkedIn asking for advice on transition because guess what? The officers are just as clueless as we are on the enlisted side when they're transitioning. They don't have it all figured out. Nope. And so it's just, again, to know that you don't have to do it alone and that you're not alone in that process and to seek outside opportunities. See, and I think in some ways, um, a lot of officers, at least from my perspective, when I got off, I'll be really honest with you, I was way overconfident. You know, I was getting off active duty with, you know, as a lieutenant colonel with a doctorate in education, thinking, got this thing licked. And yeah. why was that why was that wrong? Because what you're talking about, the the networking piece is without that, you know, those those degrees don't don't mean anything to somebody, you know, unless they really know who you are. And so, you know, as we talk a little bit about your academic experience thus far, you know, you chose to pursue a doctorate in criminal justice. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what you've experienced so far um, in your academic career. And then, um, and because I know you've, you know, maybe you'll talk a little bit about your fellowship with uh, Condoleezza Rice found fellowship and some of the other things that you've been able to access by putting yourself out there, by pursuing those things that, you know, maybe a year ago or two that you thought were kind of off limits to you. Tell us a little bit about how you decided to pursue those and, you know, what has been the result? Yes, absolutely. And I will say that, you know, besides those of us on the call, like you, you all, my brothers and sisters in arms can see the SSG on the flyer here and in the banner and say, you know, she's a staff sergeant. She's an E6. We know what that means. But to the outside world, looking at that, you're a badass to some 
because they just <laughs> clump us all together. And I will say that my my mother still gets this confused that she wants to say I'm special forces. And I'm like, Ma, you got to stop telling people that. But she just thinks like special operations. It doesn't resonate to her what that really what that means. So it's like to, to so what I'm getting at is with the rank is that I think we we put ourselves so much in a box of what we are capable of doing because of the rank and and the growth. And we had somebody telling us in service while in uniform, this is what you need to achieve to the next rank. But what I thought I was going to be, I, I thought I was going to have more free time coming off active duty, but I am busier than I ever was. And I will say that is because I realized that there were so many different things that I could do that I love to do in addition to my job that pays the bills. So it's like, I'm still getting the bills paid. Uh, but I decided to apply for St. Leo while I was still on active duty, still in transition. And I didn't think that I was getting accepted into any doctoral program, uh, but I was able you know, to get my letters of recommendation, able to write up my, my statement purpose. And I got the, the message, the notification that I got accepted and it was an incredible feeling because I, I was like, wow, I'm actually doing it. I am using my GI Bill to pay for my program. I am also in that transition piece. I also participated in, um, in Four Block, which is a transitioning program that's outside of your typical TAPS program that's mandated coming off of active duty. Uh, I did, I participated in Hill Vets, which is a, a program that's to help people, more veterans get in DC on Capitol Hill and work for Congress, work for Senate, and get an opportunity to push policies and issues that you care about. Uh, like many of you have probably seen the news, the PACT Act, you know, many of my buddies from the Hill Vets program were up in DC this past week trying to push for the PACT Act for the, um, to get the, the burns, um, at, uh, the burn pit exposures added. So it's something that was important to me at that time to go through these different programs, not only for the networking piece, but to say, hey, I can do it. Because a lot of times when I was in the room, I looked around, especially like Hill Vets, and I'm like, wow, I'm only one of two women, or I'm one of a, a few enlisted people. Um, and I went through the Honor Foundation, which is for special operations service members across all branches that are looking to transition and help them find their why. Went through Elite Meet. So there, as you can see, there was no end to the amount of programs that I went through in my last 12 months on active duty, but they were all stepping stones to be able to figure out what I wanted to do. So when I decided to go after my doctorate of criminal justice, I really wanted a practical program that was going to allow me to learn from the faculty who had real world experience. And what I love with St. Leo is a lot of our, our faculty in the DCJ program have worked like homicide undercover. They, they're law, retired law enforcement officers. They've written numerous books. They, they were not just academia their entire careers. These are retired law enforcement officers talking about what they know. It's what they, they have lived it. And so that's what I was, was really important to me. I, I wanted a smaller classroom size. My cohort is really close. And there have been days where I wanted to quit. I was like, I'm going to take the semester off. And it is because of my cohort, shout out to my DCJ cohort, that is making me stay with it because it is no, it is no joke. But to look at the enlisted that are in the program and to see that I, there are other enlisted like me from day one at orientation 
was just a breath of fresh air because we could relate to one another, uh, regardless of what time period we served in, whether we're post 9-11 veterans or, or older, uh, and just knowing that there were resources and we could help one another based on the resources. Some of them are using their VRNE, the, the VOC Rehab, uh, for funding, and uh, some of them found ways to pay out of pocket, but just being able to let each other know what resources are out there was pivotal. Now, Larry, you mentioned about the Hoover Fellowship, which is probably the, the pride and joy. I have not been off of active duty for a full year yet, folks. Like I, I transitioned August 21st of last year, which was a Saturday. And then two days later, I started with the Project Management Institute, which is a global organization, home of the Project Management Professional Certification. So I spearhead the military veteran strategy, letting the folks in the military veteran community know about project management. But that was just one piece of who I am. And it's something that I do as a job and something that I enjoy and I have a great team. But my real passion project is in combating human trafficking. And for the last 10 years, uh, even while I was on active duty, I have trained numerous service members and coordinated training for hundreds of service members on combating trafficking in persons. And I did it always in a volunteer capacity, never in a paid role. And that is something, volunteerism is something that I really promote, especially to the enlisted ranks, because when you volunteer, not only are you growing your network and doing goodness for others, but you're also gaining skill sets outside of what the military is training you to do. You're also gaining experience that, you know, even when you're writing your homework assignments for St. Leo faculty, you can lean on real world practical experience outside of your nine to five job. So I'm really adamant about serving beyond the uniform. So this uh, last fall when I was transitioning, I had heard literally like the week that the application window was closing that Dr. Condoleezza Rice was going to be hosting the, the inaugural cohort, the first ever cohort for the Hoover Institution Veteran Fellowship Program. It is a paid fellowship program, non-residential, meaning that you can stay at home and do your fellowship from home on your own time. And she, I was one of the 10 selected, never in a million years that I think I would be, but I, and I'm also the only enlisted person in my cohort, and I'm one of two women in the cohort. So she wanted to pick 10 post 9-11 veterans uh, that, you know, across all different disciplines and your topic your problem statement doesn't have to deal with anything with the military. Mine just so happens to, but I have classmates who are focused on combating wildfires out in California. I have another classmate focused on helping uh, youth in Newark, New Jersey through a boxing academy. Literally, these are all ve veterans. They're all, um, some of them are veteranpreneurs, as some people coined it. And they're just out there getting it. <laughs> and I have so many friends who've literally have quit their jobs and taken a chance on an idea and they're making their ideas happen. Uh, and it's just so great in the last year to see how they're doing that. So actually this um, coming up September 1st, I'm gonna be hosting a conference in Guam called um, Human Rights Conference Series, Human Trafficking on Guam and in the Pacific. And the governor of Guam and lieutenant governor will be there. Uh, I also have um, obviously the support and backing of, of Dr. Rice and the Hoover Institution will be helping me with this as well. And I will be flying out there uh, later in August to uh, be able to do this conference, but to be able to bring law enforcement, you know, FBI, Homeland Security, victim advocacy groups, private sector, 
and to in government to be able to bring them all together all these different stakeholders and offer this free to the public was literally just an idea and i've planned this conference in less than three months so it's a show that the thing that i love with veterans especially enlisted veterans is we know how to adapt overcome how to get stuff done and we can do it with very minimal materials and resources and we can find a way to make it happen so it literally can just start with an idea. And I will be presenting the results and findings from this conference to Dr. Rice in, in October. But like I said, I felt like a disadvantage because my classmates are service academy graduates, they're Ivy League graduates, they're retired majors, colonels. A couple of them are still serving colonels. And then they're able to take a big topic and cram it in five minutes and be eloquent and to the point. Me, on the other hand, I'm still working on that. As you can see, I can go on forever. I'm full of a lot of emotion and passion behind what I say. And but I I never let that faltered and I'm, I'm getting better. And I you understand your faults, but knowing that the way other people see you may actually be better than how you see yourself. And so to take to heart what others say, too. Here's a couple of things that I just heard you say, um, but in not so many words. Opportunities are not going to come to you if you sit in your, you know, sit in your easy chair. And I mean, opportunities aren't going to walk in your door and jump on your lap. I mean, you've got to go out. You've got to, you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to start looking and make an effort to, to open to look for those opportunities, to look for those those things that that you would miss if you didn't look. You know that it's, you know, I think that, you know, the other thing I heard you say was never say never. You know, don't, you know. It doesn't mean because you know you look back at time, you know, when you were saying that you look back yourself a year ago and you think, well, that couldn't happen for me. Well, it did. And so you never say never that, you know, the things never doubt that things can happen. I just think that's a, a great, you know, I, I like the excitement and the passion that you have. The other thing that I want to share, you know, based on what you said was you, know, you talk about, you know competing against these majors and lieutenant colonels. I spent 27 years in the army and I, I'm not the smartest, you know, I'm not the, the brightest bulb and, you know, the, the sharpest knife in the drawer. Uh, but here's what I can tell you. Um, that's true for all officers. I mean, I've met some, I've met some of the smartest enlisted, you know, E4s, E5s that, that would run circles around a lot of the lieutenant colonels that I served with if they were given the opportunity. And so, you know, rank has nothing to do with, with intellect. It has nothing to do with, you know, your ability. Um, it is just, it's just a stamp. It's just a, you know, it, it really doesn't measure anything uh, in my view. The last six months that I was on active duty, I actually got to do an internship, the Department of Defense Skillbridge program. And what I'm finding is there's still numerous leaders out there that don't understand the value. They're like, how can you be gone for six months getting paid by the army and be not show up to work? <laughs> because essentially your place of duty is your internship. And the other thing to know is that it doesn't necessarily have to have been the pre-approved Skillbridge internship. I, I know numerous friends who have um, of battle buddies who did their internship. They just coordinated it with their command. Um, I had an E8 who did his internship with a brewery because he wants to be a brewmaster and brew beer. <laughs> 
for the rest of his days. And he did that in his last, but he didn't know. And it was so funny because he was my eight and I went up to him and I said, Hey, master, like, I want to do this, um, skill bridge program. And he's like, what do you mean you get to be gone for six months? And I was like, well, I, I can actually. And I learned about it through uh, people on LinkedIn. I would have had known otherwise. Cause at the time the education centers were shut down because of COVID. And I was learning all these things from other veterans on LinkedIn who were posting about it. And so when he, he just retired recently and when he was in his last like six months too, he was like, guess what, Mary Kate, like I'm in my Skillbridge internship and I'm like, see, like you can do it too. And so sometimes like even those who outrank you, they're still trying to figure it out. And of course it's going to be mission first while they're still in uniform, but they're starting to learn. And, and until it takes all of us collectively, it took four months for my leadership to approve my internship. But after I got approved and I was the first one, the guys coming after me in my unit, it was a two-week turnaround because at that point, our colonel, our leadership already knew about the program and it was a much quicker process. So sometimes you have to be the first and there's nothing wrong with being the first, you know, and just being able to know, even if you're the first, that you don't have to know everything, but you can be the one that's that's elbowing through all the, the obstacles so you make it easier for those coming behind you. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I like the way you approach things. And, and I, I've been working with veterans since I got out for 12 years. And I think some of the advice that you're talking about right now, some of the things that you're saying right now is I, I wish I wish everybody, you know, I'm glad that we've got people that are on this, this uh, program right now. But I hope that a lot of people after we you know, record this and post it can listen to what you're saying, because the advice that you're giving is so and just, you know, we, so many veterans that I've worked with undersell themselves. They don't, they don't believe they can do those things uh, because it doesn't relate to what they did in the military or it's just, it seems like a bridge too far. But, you know, in seeing what you've done since you've been out, um, you know, there's evidence that it can be done. All you got to do is it just takes a little bit of work. Uh, what I want to do is I wanted to ask you a little bit, right? You're the president of the St. Leo uh, SVA. So tell me a little bit about how you got plugged into SVA and tell me what are some of the benefits that you found from being part of SVA? Yes, absolutely. You, and also, what would you tell somebody who wants to get into SVA and doesn't know much about it, but, you know, would be a great asset to the, to the SVA? Uh, so Larry, with that being said, with SVA, so... I learned about SVA through actually Dr. Luke McLeese. He's the one who started the student, um, the not the student veteran, the veteran studies major at St. Leo University, which is the first and only of its kind nationwide. Um, but he was actually your predecessor, Larry, and he was the one that reached out to me. Again, met him through um, through the connections, through like the LinkedIn opportunities and a lot, even for my current job now, it was through people seeing my content on LinkedIn and connecting with me on LinkedIn. And um, he saw all the other things that I was doing on LinkedIn and he was like, he reached out to me and, and thought that I would make a, a great president for SVA. And SVA is nationwide. We have an annual national conference every year. I was able to represent St. Leo earlier this year in January. And it's the largest convening of post 9-11 veterans in the country, which is really, really cool because you get to be at this, you're, for one, you're at Disney World. <laughs> 
first of all, it was a lot to Mickey Mouse. And then two, just being around post 9-11 veterans, uh, just the largest convening of all of us together. So you get to meet others from all branches of service, all walks of life, which is I think what we love and miss about just our time in service is that camaraderie component. You have folks who are still serving like me in the reserves, or people who are completely out. And some of the universities are that have smaller clubs compared to others, but it is, I would say it's an elite opportunity. You have veterans who are now uh, at the Pentagon. We have you have veterans who are running this country. Are you know leaders in in their uh, CEOs of different companies, entrepreneurs, veterans, as I was saying earlier, and now they're coming back to speak to those of us student veterans. They want to help. They want to see us succeed, and they're reaching back to make sure that happens. And NatCon was an opportunity to do that. What I love with SBA is that they they give you the tools and resources to be able to connect with student veterans. So if you're looking for employment. And if your family is, you know, struggling financially, you know, SBA can help to see about different resources to help you meet those different needs. Because there's, um, Marina, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there's over, was it over 40,000 veteran service organizations out there? Over 50 or 40 or 50,000 veteran service organizations, which these are nonprofits and offering services at no cost. So they are meeting the gaps to where the military is falling short, whether that's helping you find employment, helping you with free resume services, helping you with negotiating your salary. I mean, how many of you have done that or know how to do that? Uh, And just knowing how to put yourself out there. We even have veterans out there that are offering free services to help you with your LinkedIn. For those and professional photos, I got a free, I got two free professional business suits the whole works. I got like the purse, the shoes, the head to toe free outfits through a veteran service organization that was trying to help us dress to impress for interviews. Um, And, you know, you can even get a canine um, to help with like for those who have post-traumatic stress. I will say Marina on this call, my veteran sister here who served over over 20, but I won't say exactly years in the U.S. Navy, retired, uh, but she's also founder and president of Military Women's Collective. So, you know, Marina found a need and she's out in California, but to be able to service and bring together our sisters at arms from all the different branches who have passed present uh, to bring them together is great and also allies. So those um, elite opportunities, that's why I love that you called it that, Larry, elite opportunities for enlisted service members, because we don't know what we don't know. And I will say I I co-founded the Guam Human Rights Initiative earlier this year because I found a significant gap in speaking with local stakeholders in Guam as far as finding research. And I figured, okay, I'm in a doctoral program. I'm writing thousands of words every week at the demands of my my program. And I was like, what if I could turn my homework assignments and like my research and start to learn myself to do for good? So as much as I can, I try to wrap my criminal justice um, homework assignments around like human trafficking, even though I don't have my dissertation topic yet, we haven't been approved for that, but I try to make everything that I do align with my values, my core values, but also what I'm passionate about. So that's how I'm able to balance it. So SVA helps me do that. SVA helped me get introduced to other veterans who are focused, who are passionate about women, women veteran issues, who are passionate about combating uh, homeless. We shouldn't have any homeless veterans. 
we shouldn't have any veteran suicides. You know, just being able to raise awareness to the needs and, and problems that are facing veterans every day. Like even though they say only 1% of us uh, serve, but the fact that we are such a, a tight-knit community that there shouldn't be any of us out there that are facing any of these issues alone. And SVA wants to be able to help bridge that gap to the resources that are available and to help you get where you need to go, both professionally and uh, personally. And this includes your families too. So uh, we do have a lot of openings right now. I know Larry's been flooding y'all's inboxes with <laughs> the newsletter, which I think is fantastic. Uh, but we do have open roles uh, for uh, um, vice, different vice president roles and for like um, secretary and finance. And I can get you a list, Larry, later. Um, but just if you are interested in SVA, uh, please reach out because we'd love uh, for you to be a part of us. I, you know, I think, you know, I've, SVA has been, uh, has been strong for years. I mean, ever since I got out of the military, I mean, SVA has always been there. And uh, you're right. I mean, it's a great organization for connecting. It's a great organization, especially when you're first getting out, um, to help you connect. And so I, I encourage everybody to, to learn more about SVA and, and to become, if you have an opportunity to become a part of SVA here at St. Leo, we are very, uh, we'd love to have you. And, uh, and Mary Kate can help, you know, talk to you a little bit more about that. Uh, as we try to wrap things up, what I wanted to do is, you know, I think this is the last thing I'd like you to kind of share would be, you know, kind of last advice for those that are, are either they're thinking about getting out or they just got out. Um, kind of the final words that, that, you know, words of wisdom from Mary-Kate Saliva on... Well, I forgot to mention this earlier, but, you know, I keep looking at Marina, but the disability claim, I'll say, if you haven't done that yet, to make sure you do that, I know Marina's doing the big eye roll, but it is not, you are not taking money from anybody, you're not taking money from any other veterans, you have earned that, uh, so file your claim, and if you're still serving, go get seen, uh, head to toe, get your sleep study done, it is, it is your right, you've earned that. And to, you know, that's just an additional income. If you don't do it for yourself, do it for your family. We all get older. We start creaking when we wake up in the morning in this colder months, maybe not Florida, but you know, I just, you know, I just want you all to know that you're not taking money from anybody and it is not a sign of weakness to go seek that sort of um, additional support for you and your family. So. Um, you reach out to me and Marina with regards to that. Now, as far as launching goes, there's a lot of fears associated with we're, we're coming out of the pandemic. Like you said, Larry, there's still a lot of communities out there struggling and with the jobs. So one of the things that I didn't really touch on strongly was even uh, certifications. And in addition to finding out your why, once you find that why, to see about how you, what skills you're going to need for that, whether that is certification, which like I said, there's opportunities for you to get those certifications paid for, um, you know, through cool funding, through, like I said, onwards opportunity, there's resources out there. Um, and to, you're sort of working backwards from the job. The other thing that I did really effectively, I think was in reaching out to people that are in those communities. So even on my LinkedIn, I noticed that I follow a lot of people that are leaders, um, survivor leaders, uh, leaders in, in law enforcement, homeland security, whatnot, that are passionate about combating human trafficking, because that is something that I'm passionate about. 
So I've made it to where my LinkedIn, where my, my feed, my news feed is a lot about that. So I don't claim to know everything there is to know about human trafficking and the different types and where it's happening, you know, and happening everywhere, but to, there's different nuances and different laws and policies that uh, are in challenges out there. And so for me, I was like, I can't get a degree on anti-human trafficking. I can't, I don't, you know, I could probably get maybe a certification on doing some kind of detective law enforcement work, but I realized that I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a social worker. I'm not a cop. So it's like, okay, Mary Kate, how are you going to fit into this piece of the pie? How are you going to get a piece of the pie? And what I realized is I could do it through research. And so I think, you know, all of us in the call, like we're, I know even Marina, we're, we're students, we're student veterans. So finding your skill sets from when you were on active duty, when you were in the military, blending it with your academic experience. But that networking piece is so huge to be able to find mentors and surrounding yourself with people that are not going to discourage you because I've had a lot of those at all different ranks, but to find those who are going to empower you to get where you want to go and to not take the no, that's a silly idea. That's a dumb idea for an answer. Because if it doesn't exist, you can be the one to fill that gap like Marina did when finding her organization this year. You can be the one that fills that gap. You can do it through your research. You can do it through your studies. You can do it through volunteerism. You can have SVA help you get, get there. And I guarantee between my network, Marina's network alone, that we know somebody that is probably a subject matter expert on what you're interested in. I met with General Mattis back in April. One of the things that he told that he said to us that really stuck to me was, so the first step in solving any problem is having a good problem statement. And I realized that when I told my problem statement about human trafficking out in Guam, I realized that it wasn't it wasn't clear enough. I think I was confusing myself when I said it out loud. And so I really took that following week to really just write it out and get others' opinions and thoughts on the clarity and directness of, of my problem statement. And once I had that, it was like I could see with 2010 vision uh, and just being able to really direct my focus. And the other thing I'll add is to be successful is to really also that self-care piece Marina and I know like we were volunteering, I want to say it was like 60 hours a week, it felt like for some of these veteran service organizations, Marina and I were up until two o'clock in the morning, helping nonprofits with um, writing and posting on social media and reaching out to other people who were emailing the nonprofit. But we found that we were pouring so much of ourselves out that we were getting burnt out so early because we try to grab on to every opportunity that came our way. So you really need in finding that problem statement, finding your why and your passion, you need to be deliberate as well. Whether that means setting aside an hour of your day, literally writing it in your calendar, writing it in your schedule, blocking it out. And this is my time that I'm going to focus on me and my family. And then the rest is just icing on the cake. So um, launching, like I said, is, is that figuring out yourself, taking care of yourself and surrounding yourself with those who are going to help make you better. Awesome advice. I mean, really, um, you know, I, I hope more people get to watch this because, you know, a lot of the things that, that you're, you're saying are, are things that are really important for a lot of our, especially enlisted service members to hear, not just, you know, not just, and I would say even officers really need to hear this as well, because I think sometimes we, uh, we underestimate ourselves and we, we don't pursue our passion. We don't pursue our, our dream. And um, 
you know, there's a there's a cool little book called the uh, the Dream Giver uh, by Ben Wilkerson, and so that book, you know, God plants a a dream in all of us, and so to be able to follow that and to and to, and to do what you're made to do, to what you're God given, what you're created to do, is really important that you find that. And yes, yes. Uh, I think you've laid out a very good pathway for for a lot of our service members that are even you know maybe getting out or thinking about her. Or even they're out now and they've been out and they've just kind of floundered a little bit trying to figure out what they want to do. I think your advice is spectacular, spot on, and I think uh, uh, it would be very helpful for, for everybody to hear. So I appreciate you taking the time to, to do this, to, to, to help share your experiences, but also to help provide some guidance and some wisdom to, to those that are coming behind you. Like you say, you're kind of paying it forward a little bit. Yeah, and I realized too that um, what you're passionate about and when you find your why, it does not have to be the first job that you get out of the military. So when got my uniform, when Marina hung up her uniform, it's just something. And, and I'll mind you that I did 12 years and Marina retired over 20. Whether whether you've only done one contract or you did a full career, uh, we're, we still find ourselves sort of in that same place of just reinventing or refining ourselves about what we're going to do, but understanding that when you, Charlie, might continue mission, that it could look so, in so many different ways. So what I'm doing in my full-time job, like I said, I'm, it's, it has nothing to do with anti-human trafficking efforts. It has nothing to do with combating human trafficking. And my degree isn't directly as part of that either. And who knows, St. Leo, DCJ might say, denied, we're not going to let her do her dissertation on human trafficking. I hope that doesn't happen, but that, that's a possibility. But I realize that it's so important to invest in myself, just as it is for you to invest in yourself. And so when you're doing that, that also means to explore like the options available to you to not let your light get dimmed just because the job that you need to pay the bills and feed your family doesn't necessarily have to be your passion project. You know, you got to take care of you and yours first and foremost, but then you can still find ways to be able to still do what you love outside. And, and that's, again, like serving beyond the nine to five. And I will say for those with family and kids, you know, it can be hard, but I've seen so many of my brothers and sisters that will bring the kids with them. You know, they sort of make it a family affair. Like Marina, you know, she, she brings her family out with her when they do events. I mean, you could literally create like a social at a pizza place or something and just get everybody together because the COVID-19, the pandemic and the isolation and the quarantine, people just want to get back out there. And if they just need one person to plan to get everybody together and people will come together. And I think that's just what the beautiful part of it is that the one thing we all miss is that camaraderie piece and we can still have that. Yeah. And like you said, you know, a career is not a, you know, finding that there's not always a straight line to success, to, to, to your goal. It's not always a straight line. It can be, as the Beatles once sang, it could be a long and winding road to get to where you want to go. But uh, a lot of times the, you just don't know which, you know, which path it's going to take you. And it's, it's being, seeing those opportunities like you're doing right now, I think is, is really important for, for our veterans to see. So with that, we're out of time. And I want to thank you, Mary-Kate, for, for coming on. I really appreciate uh, I want to thank Nancy also for, for putting this all together and or orchestrating it. To hear more episodes of the St. Leo 360 podcast, visit stleo.edu forward slash podcast. 
To learn more about St. Leo's programs and services, call 877-622-2009 or visit stleo.edu.